Luke chapter 13, today we'll be meditating on verses 10 to 21. Let's read this passage together. Hear the word of the Lord. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. It really does at some times more than other times. And I think this week was such a time that it feels like the world is falling apart. And again, like I said, it's going to be so quick that these things are forgotten. I remember after 9-11 happened that, you know, so September, by October, NFL season was full underway. And I I remember, uh, I can't remember the city, for some reason I think it was Cleveland, but the fans were upset with, you know, the call of the refs on the field and they were dousing the field in trash. And I just thought, I mean, this is now what we care about most? This is what life is about. This is what matters. We so quickly forget. But sometimes, and when we're honest, and when we're, we do remember it, it does feel like the world is falling apart. And I have no doubt in my mind that things are going to get worse than they are at present. As a society, we are so utterly far from God and tirelessly, recklessly running further away. The darkness of our blindness is getting darker. The hardness of our hearts is getting harder. The bonds that are holding us captive are getting tighter. And so much blood is being spilled in the bad parts of town and the good parts of town, in public and in private, in late-night clubs and in sterile clinics. So much blood is being spilled in the name of Allah, in the name of so-called justice, in the name of women's health. On social media where all can see the blood spilling 
and in the darkness and warmth of a mother's womb where none but God can see. So much blood is being spilled. And so many, far too many, call the sin righteousness and call the darkness light and only mourn when the hurt is close to home. And sometimes, when you take your head out of the sand, I know I do, you feel hopeless and you feel at a loss like Asaph. And this is exactly how I have felt this week. Asaph said in Psalm 73, I thought how to understand this. When he contemplated the prosperity of the wicked and the suffering of the righteous, he said, I thought how to understand this, and it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to come together to Jesus Christ, who is the sanctuary, the dwelling place of God. And He will show us and He will teach us love. And He will give us promises. He will give us a hope that will never disappoint. Let's look back at verses 10 to 11. Here is another Sabbath day in the life of Jesus as His face is set toward Jerusalem and as was His custom. He is in the synagogue on the Sabbath day teaching God's people. And it says, verse 11, And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. This is um, obviously a tragic situation, but at the same time, it, it is interesting, you know, 2,000 years removed from it. This is an interesting case because most often we see the effects of an evil spirit in a person's personality. The evil spirit takes over their mind, even takes over their words takes over their body, giving them a a strength not their own, giving them a hatred and a violence, sometimes bringing them to death's door, endangering the lives of others. But the effect of this evil spirit specifically is this medical condition. This woman's back has been hunched over and her head has hung down and her eyes have been cast to the floor, to the ground for 18 years. How hopeless does this woman feel? And how dejected and rejected does she feel? Being a woman in that society and being a suffering woman, she would be put down, she would be pushed to the margins of society, and she would be presumed to be under the curse of God. So what does Jesus do? I mean, it's actually surprising to see this woman this is where life happened in, in Judaism. It's, it's surprising her, to see her where she is on this day. And it may be specifically because of Jesus that she has it in her mind to be there. But what does he do? He's in the central place of the synagogue. Being a woman, she'd not be even close to him. Being a suffering woman, she'd be far from him. Would you turn back to Luke chapter 4 for a moment? This is the last, in chapter 13, this is the last of Jesus' synagogue appearances that we have recorded for us in Luke's Gospel. The first time we saw Him in the synagogue on a Sabbath day was at the beginning of His ministry in Luke chapter 4 when He's up in Galilee in His hometown of Nazareth. And this is such such an amazing passage. Uh, 
Uh, it has practical use as far as helping us to understand what Jesus' ministry is about and, and how uh, chapter 4 ties in with chapter uh, 13. But this is so good for our hearts and, and for our hope. This is why Jesus has come. This is what He came to do for, for all who come to Him when He calls. This is what Christ will do. He, he said in verses 18 and 19, and He's quoting from Isaiah, I love this passage. I wish I could spend more time on it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And now, fast forward a little bit, back to chapter 13, we have this woman who has been captive, bound for 18 years, and she feels in her life very personally the repercussions of this old prophecy. She feels in her life very personally the power of Christ and His proclamation. He called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed. You see how those passages tie in, right? Chapter 4, He said twice, I have come to proclaim liberty. And now in this another synagogue, again on the Sabbath day, he says, woman, you have liberty. You are free from your disability. You're free. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. This is who our Savior is. This is what He does. He calls the bent and the broken to Himself. He lays hands on those whom the world rejects. And He gives us the freedom that no one else could ever bring to us. Have you come? Have you come at the call of Christ? Are you always in a state of coming. Come to Him and you will be free. You will be freed from sin's penalty and all its demands on you. That is, from its tyranny. It will not rule you if you come to Jesus. You will be free. This is what Jesus came to bring to us. If you come to Him, Though all others turn away from you, you know the promise of the Word. He will never leave you. And He will never forsake you. It doesn't matter who puts you out in this life. As David said back in the Psalms, though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me in. And He will keep forever those who come to Him when He calls. Have you come? As soon as this woman is freed from this disability, she stands up straight and it says she glorified God. Have you come? Have you received the freedom that Jesus Christ brings? And if if you have, then straighten up your weary back, lift your head, your eyes, and your voice together and sing the glory of your God.
This is why we sing in church every Sunday morning, and this is why we should have a song in our hearts always, because Jesus Christ has brought us freedom. The freed sing. That's why way back in the day, when there were slaves working in the fields, though they were captive, many of them were free. And so they sang songs like Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, they, they are the ones who popularized John Newton's English hymn. This is what we have. Though the world may oppress, in Christ we are free. And so we sing. There has never been someone like Jesus and there never could be anyone like Christ. You look at Christ honestly. What human intuition or instinct would think of a God like this? What human imagination would come up with a Savior such as this? Who would leave the glories of heaven and take on human flesh. Become one of us fully, but without sin. And lay His life down for us. You expect if God comes, if He visits the earth, He comes wielding the divine two-by-four, at the very least. But Christ comes with compassion. He comes calling the bent and the broken and the captive and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. He is so utterly pure. He is so good. He is holy. And He is just. No one could ever be like Him. And you, and you think, how could... You look at a passage like this. How could someone not be one to Christ? How could any heart not be compelled by this God? I mean, you want another God? You, you want the Muslim version of God? The Mormon version of God? The Buddhist, the Hindu, whatever version? Why? You want the Greek mythological versions of the gods? This is God! As no man could ever write God. And here we have Him in the Word revealed to us. How could any heart resist Him? But so many do. And this religious leader, He is one of them. And we have to acknowledge before we read again verse 14, you know, this man is a victim of Satan himself. Not knowing it, he is an unwitting agent of the devil's oppression. But he is a victim of Satan also. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, He said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. People, come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. What a... saw little faces back there and I hesitated a moment, but I'm going to say it anyway. Jerk! What a jerk this guy is! Now who do you want to be like, Christian? Who do you want to be like? Whose heart do you want to reflect? Do you want to reflect the heart of Christ or the heart of this Antichrist who is not the Antichrist yet to come, but who is a type, a foreshadowing of that Antichrist? Who do you want to be like? Will you love? That's what it comes down to, ultimately. Will you love? You see, in these days, when there is so much divide and, and rancor and, and bitterness 
in this country. And there's so many groups against one another all over the place. What sets apart the Christian is love. See, you, you look at this man. He thinks that he is standing up for law, for justice, and for moral righteousness. But if you, if you do all of that in our day, if you stand up for justice and moral righteousness and all of that, but you leave out love, you are still a pawn in Satan's hand. If you leave out love, you're not like Christ. You are like this antichrist. Or to use the less theological term, this jerk. Who do you want to be like? If your heart cannot break for a victim, no matter what he is wearing, no matter what the color of his skin, if your heart cannot break for a victim, if you leap to judgment before the facts are known and if you automatically indict, if you don't mourn, whose heart are you reflecting? If we have no mourning in our hearts, do you know what the Christian heart is like? This is the Christian heart. The poor in spirit. Mourning. Meek. Desperate for righteousness, pure, merciful, and peace-making heart. Peace-making heart. You say that, that kind of sounds like a liberal heart, a, a, you know, the bleeding heart. But no, this is straight from the mouth of Christ. This is Matthew chapter 5 that I'm just quoting here. This is the Christian heart. This is the heart that you and I are called to reflect. That's not a liberal heart. Not the, bleeding heart that we mock. This is the Christian heart. That's the heart that reflects Christ. Verses 15 and 16, The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? This this is a, uh, a prime example of what the traditions of men do. When we add to Scripture, we take away from Scripture. When we, we add rules to the Bible's commandments, we pervert the truth and we pervert love too. We got it all twisted around and upside down and everything. Jesus is the one who reshapes it. Look at, just consider for a moment, quickly, four contrasts here in the words of Jesus. This woman is not an animal made by God, but a daughter of Abraham made by God in His image. And that is every single person from conception made in the image of God. This woman, she is not tied by men. She is bound by Satan. That's contrast number two. She's not tied to a stake like the ox or the donkey. But she's tied, she's tied to this evil spirit and she's not just bound for a few hours. For 18 years. 18 years. Caring for what God created is important. Caring for our pets. Caring for our work animals. It's important. It's a virtue. It's right. Not caring for them is wrong. But caring for people is more important. Caring for a stranger is more important than caring for our own pets. People are the priority. Made in the image of God. 
We must not see people according to the flesh. As Christians now, this is what Paul wrote, we don't see anyone according to the flesh. We must see people according to spiritual realities. And that is the terms, those are the terms that Jesus is speaking in. This is a woman, a daughter of Abraham. She's made in the image of God. She's been bound by Satan all this time. On the Sabbath day, the day that celebrates liberty, let's proclaim her freedom and celebrate. As he said these things, verse 17, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Here we see a very local specific example of what we've been seeing in Luke for um, a couple chapters now, I guess, well, at least the last few weeks that we've been studying. Here's the divide. Here's a specific example of the universal truth that we divide, all people divide on the person of Jesus Christ. In some generations, that divide becomes clearer than in other generations. And the opposition against Christ becomes more obvious than at other times. And we are in such a time when the divide is more clear and the opposition growing and becoming strong. Listen, as some people are so clearly against our Lord, let us, all of us, be even more clearly for Him. And that means truth and it means love in equal measure. Never one without the other. And both of them, truth and love all the time. That's who we are. As the people of God, as the church of the Lord Jesus here, this is who we are and how we must live. The world is clearly against Him. Let us be even more clearly for Him. The world is at war with God. Please, I'm not talking conspiracy theory. I'm not guessing. If you're paying any attention, this is so readily obvious. There are are cases in court right now that if Christians are to lose, we stand in danger of losing serious religious freedom. I'm even talking losing the right and the freedom from the courts, not under God, the rights and the freedoms to proclaim the truth about certain lifestyles of sin. We're not messing around and we're not fabricating anything when we say that things are getting bad. The world is against God, waging war. And that means, Christian, child of God, that eventually the world is going to put you in its sights. If you claim the Christian faith, the world will put you in its sights and it will tell you to buy in or else. Conform to the new rules, incredibly the rules that the world and mass, you know, said, no, not that. But now they're the rules. Now they are the rules. And they will tell you to conform or else. It may be that you will be fined into financial oblivion as some Christians are already being fined into, if no one would help. Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Hey, 
you want to be loved and you want to be accepted by the world, there is a way. Be of the world. In the, in the divide, on the person of Christ, go the world's way. In your life, values, all of that, just go the way of the world. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, Jesus says. But I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. All these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. It's John 15. You know, on so many fronts, it feels like we are losing ground these days. I mean, it seems like, I'm just throwing a number out there, two weeks can hardly go by without a cause for righteousness being lost in court. In the court of public opinion, in the Supreme Court, it feels like we are losing so much moral ground. I, I don't know that we would say, uh, okay, we're, we're losing, but it feels like the world is winning. And that's why we need a promise and we need a hope. And so Jesus gives us that promise and He gives us that hope. Look back at verses 18 and 19. He, resistance is stiffening against Christ. New anger. He's feeling the threat. And He says, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Why is this promise placed in Luke's Gospel where it's placed? Because Jesus knows that sin is not done until sin has done its worst. And that's why we have been saying all along, hey, you take away this right or you, you give the, you redefine what marriage is and so on. And you take away these religious freedoms. It's going to have a snowball effect. And they said no, but we know Jesus knew, Jesus knows that sin is not done until sin has done its worst. And He knows that in a few months' time, sin will have done its worst. The ultimate worst. And it will look in that moment when the king is wearing a crown of thorns and hanging like a piece of meat, naked and shredded there upon the cross. All of these promises concerning the kingdom will look awfully doubtful when it feels like all is lost. And that's why we have this promise here. Has the kingdom ever looked so lost as when the king was crucified? When the world encompasses him, their mouth open wide like a ravening and roaring lion. This is Psalm 22, prophetic of the crucifixion. Has the kingdom ever looked so lost as when he is poured out like water and his bones are out of joint? His heart like wax melts within him. Has the kingdom ever looked so done for as when his strength is dried up and his tongue sticks to his jaws? When the world encircles him and pierces him, in that moment, will it look like he has won? Will it not look like the promises have been completely empty and the kingdom is lost forever? Like, all the promises have fallen to the ground. Really like a little mustard seed. Fallen to the ground. I mean, where is it? The mustard seed is about the size of a sesame seed. 
like, you know, sesame seed buns, how small that seed is. It's about the same size. But it's the color of dirt. When that thing falls to the ground, good luck finding it. That's the promises. That's the kingdom. Where is it? It's nowhere to be. Nothing to see here, people. Let's just go home. This is done. The cause is lost. That's how Jesus speaks of the kingdom. As a mustard seed. But like a mustard seed fallen to the, to the ground, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, in the beginning impossible to locate and easy to dismiss, will one day grow into the tree in which the birds of the air nest in all its branches. Listen. Listen to this. What appears to be the smallest is nevertheless the greatest. In that which is hidden, the foundation of a work is laid that will encompass the whole world. Comes from a 19th century theologian. That kingdom fallen to the ground will refuge the nations forever. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. The kingdom Right in this day, and particularly at the dark hour of the cross, it, it looks like it's uh, it's nothing. It's just this this tiny pinch of leaven. But given due process, it's going to affect everything. It will be utterly pervasive. It will consume and it will transform all that it is within. It transforms everything, and this is the way it is with the kingdom. Listen. It feels like we are losing ground or the world is winning. We have not lost and we can never lose. The kingdom of Jesus Christ cannot be stopped. It cannot even in the plan of God be slowed down. Not in the least. All of the nations of the world can be drawn up in confederation against our God and they can't do a thing but serve Him. They serve His plan. When the devil does his worst to us, what does the Bible say? We end up being more than conquerors because God works all to our good. They have no power except what God gives them to actually serve Him. We have not lost and they are not winning. Even now, you think about the kingdom. You think in terms of kingdom like embassies and ambassadors. The embassies of the heavenly kingdom are the churches who are holding fast the confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the ambassadors are the church members all over the world. And even today, the enemies of God's kingdom are being delivered. They're being saved. It's not going to make the, the media for sure, but did you know that Muslim people all over the world are coming to Jesus Christ in droves? Enemies of the gospel are being transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. The embassies are growing and being transformed. The ambassadors are being transformed. And one coming day, Jesus will come and He will establish His kingdom upon this earth from tiny seed to total sovereignty. 
from a little pinch of leaven-like kingdom to being all-consuming and all-transforming, to having total presence and total power. And everybody within this kingdom, because this is the effect of the king, will be completely transformed. Heart and mind, soul and strength, glorified and made like the great king. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. And you, Christian, you will see that day. You will be a part of that. You will be a part of that as a servant and as royalty. We will reign with Christ forever. You're going to see this day. And the world, no matter what it does, can keep it from happening. You think the world can keep us from glory? Do you think this world is going to win this planet? When Jesus Christ comes, He's going to reclaim. And He is going to redeem and He is going to renew. As He says, I make all things new. And all of the rebellious in the end and all of those who refuse Him will perish. Every other kingdom will be buried. And the great enemy of our souls and of our Lord Jesus Christ will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. In Christ the great conqueror, we conquer. More than conquer, we win. Why do the nations rage? The psalmist asks, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my King on Zion, my holy hill. Ours is not the hopeless cause. Ours is the cause and the purpose and the promise of the King who reigns over heaven and earth. The King who is coming again to make the new earth His eternal home. Then on that day, the dwelling place of God will be with man. We will dwell with Him. And He will dwell with us as our God. There will be no more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. No more death. Because all of the former things will have passed away. And this is the inheritance. This is the promise of Christ and this is the hope of all of those who believe. Now is not the time to join the world. It is never the time to join the world. Because the world that stays in its rebellion is going to lose. So Christian, Jesus Christ chose you out of the world. Let us not be of the world. Even if that means that the world hates us, as it hates the one who chose us. Let us remain faithful to the God who by the life 
The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has redeemed us to Himself and made us kings and queens in His kingdom. We will reign forever with Him. Let us hold fast. Let us do it with truth and love. Let's pray. Father, we need Your help. We thank You for the help that we have in Your Word. Anywhere we look, we find this hope of the Gospel. We find the promises fulfilled. We find all of our reason to stay fast, to not give in, to not compromise. So I pray, Father, that every heart here would be encouraged to hold fast to what is true and what is right and what is just and what is love. To hold fast to the hope that we have and not sound like the world sounds. So angry, cynical, bitter. I pray, Father, that as so many are clearly against You, we would be more clearly for You. And and I pray that we would do this together. And Oh God, I ask if there is one here whose life, whose heart is compromised, who's, who's trying to ride the, the fence and have a foot in both worlds, I pray, Father, that they would realize that they can't do it and it's not worth it. I pray, Father, that every heart, just like this woman, I pray that every heart would come to Christ at His call and find in Jesus, Your Son, all our freedom from sin, from sin's death, from all its demands. I pray that we would be free. May every heart here, O Lord, be free. And may we spread the message of the truth of freedom in Jesus in the love of Christ. And we ask, Father, that You would add to this company of believers here many. Redeem them, transfer them into Your kingdom, and add them to this family that we may hunger and thirst after Christ together and go to glory together. Thank You for Your promises and the hope that cannot fail. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.